0: It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. (music) Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to this uh, fresh episode of the podcast. Actually, it's not so fresh Jim because we we, we, we were talking before we solved all the world's problems and <laughs> uh, and did everything that we needed to say uh, before we hit record. So we need
1: to record the pre-record.
0: <laughs> yeah uh, oh well you know you, you'll just you'll get your your seconds their uh, leftovers uh, from us now so uh, but ever, anyway wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening, uh, we want to thank you for making us part of your day. We're grateful that you are joining us as we continue to bring our pastoral perspective on contemporary issues as well as the historical elements of our church distinctives. Before we jump into that, uh, Jim, how are you today?
1: Oh, doing great. Um, Although Tuesday night I was at Bible study and we were doing Isaiah chapter 15, and part of Moab's judgment is that everyone's head was bald and everyone's beard was cut off. And so I had a little bit of a nightmare Uh that... The beard may be missing, and it needs a trim right now. But uh, it's a it's a beautiful thing. I'm enjoying it and enjoying Idaho weather. The springtime is my favorite time of year.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. We finally got some uh, some warmth and uh, some some sun and all those things. So we're looking forward to uh, this season. Well, as we uh, get started today, we wanted to start off by identifying a current issue of controversy. Uh, controversy is always fun, right? Uh, among a number of Christian leaders, that's not as fun. And it is currently a hot-button subject for conversation today, and especially because we are currently in our sermon series, which is a prologue to Exodus 20. I've been addressing the three uses of the law most recently, and the first use of the law is the evangelical use. That is, the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. A law has an authority over the world— that calls the world out for its sin and identifies uh, the world's need for a savior and that points to Christ. So that's the evangelical use of the law. The second use of the law is the civil use, and that's really where the battle is raging and the controversy lies, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's where God's law is the standard for civil order and the restraining of evil in society. Uh, That is the standard for justice. And, and that, again, Jim, is that central issue of the debate on the topic of Christian nationalism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the big deal that's going on out on Twitter and, and all the social media feeds. And uh, I've been talking about disengaging from social media in order to not get caught up in it. Um, I do monitor social media. I think it's a good way of monitoring current events and what's happening out there in the world. Um, but this particular topic has gotten uh, an enormous amount of play. Um even, I would say, um, unnecessary digging from one side to the other on what it is and what it isn't. Um, but I think it's an important topic that we talk about because it's out there in current events. And so I wanted to avoid it, but I think it's important.
0: Yep, and I think it's relevant, again, to our current study. Uh, yeah, which in isn't term. coincidence. And I, no. I
1: was thinking through that, Danny, as we're going straight into Exodus 20, as you're setting this up, this is right in front of our face. And so this is this is truly a current event that the church, the universal church, is facing and we don't want to avoid those things. We want to take those things head on.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to we're framing our discussion today. We we've determined that it's really important for us not to be like the news media that jumps to conclusions, that sees a crash video and immediately wants to weigh in as to who's at fault and what the right conclusions are or what's the cause and all these types of things. Right. Uh, those are jumping to conclusions. And so we want to make sure that we're Uh, We're careful, but we're acknowledging that things are happening and that we're really having a discussion and just identifying some of the basic things that we do know. And so really, what we want to talk about is is not ultimately drawing the conclusions and to saying this is where we've landed or we stand. We think right now it's important for us to be thinking about the issues and working through how we develop an understanding of the definitions. Because those are really the most important elements. Because as you've pointed out to me, at least, Jim, is that uh, what you're concerned with in this debate and the controversy among good brothers is the reality that they're talking past each other because their definitions are not on on par. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. I think that that's important. And, and I'll say it too, the, the good brothers, and I call them younger good brothers because they tend to be uh, younger men than me. And we've talked about the, the importance of a multi-generational church. And, you know, we had your dad in here and interviewed, and that'll be coming out, and that's a great interview. But there's real value in being patient, thinking things through, reading well, and then responding. So what's happening is is things are volleying, and it gets personal, and you can see it in these tweets before they actually are talking to each other. And I think that's, that's important that we discipline ourselves to take our time. And some of the more mature men, I would say, that are out there, Tom Askell, for example, from... Founders Ministry, dr white are are out there trying to calm the storm, so to speak and and Twitter is the wrong place to have uh, a discussion because it's a very poor method of communicating. so but definitions become very, very important, yeah so well, and that's where um, the concern
0: over the mischaracterization and seeking to get your team, your tribe, uh, to like you and to and to marginalize uh, those other those other views, um, we, we we get it. It's it's there's a there's a natural human tendency towards that. And we just need to be more careful, and so the aim here is really to uh, just again let you know it, it, we 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 don't want to pretend that that you all listening. Um, have no idea what's going on, and some of you don't have any idea what's going on. And we think it's important that you do because we're talking about it. We need to know these things. Uh, we, we also want to help you think through these things as well. So that's the big idea of what we just want to have a conversation about today and um, and, and work through some of these things. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly reveal some of our thinking and some of our presuppositions working through some of these definitions. But ultimately, we don't want to um, really ultimately identify the conclusions and what we think is the way forward and all these stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and again, you and I have found a resource that we like on definitions. If if the Bible defines it, then we should use it. Like that's just, a, that's a great rule of thumb for all of us. And, and nations and Christian are both in the Bible. So I think it's a really good starting point to say, those are our definitions. And this is what we build off of, because this is the way that God's word defined it. God's word is truth. So very and, important. And yet we recognize the issue of most isms are negative
0: or seen negatively, right? Uh, except for patriotism, I, I was trying to think of other isms that that are viewed negatively. It, it's by some patriotism is a negative thing, but um, but a lot of isms are uh, mean you're headed in a
1: in a bad direction. So we just want to work it's through. It's funny because nationalism used to be a positive. You used to have. Right. I mean, think about the the celebra- the celebrations on the Fourth of July and taking your hat off. All of those things were were built yeah. into being proud of your nation. And so when we talk about Christian nationalism, we should be proud of (laughs) nationalism in Christ. I just, so I don't, again, I don't see the debate here. Um, I watch it and observe it and think that they're just talking over each other.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start with that a little bit, Jim, and uh, work through maybe a few definitions of some of the terms being used, kind of how do we see them? You, You mentioned just some of the biblical ideas first one that comes to mind uh, for me is the idea of nation. So um, the, the scripture identifies the reality of nations. Um, maybe you want to bring up a few of those um, yeah, the identities?
1: Yeah, the, the, the word first shows up in Genesis 5 or Genesis 10. So you've got 10 and 11, which are mirror images of the same scene one from God's perspective and one from the genealogy, but you've got uh, the tower of Babel. God is scattering them into their languages and really into their nations. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the formation of nations there. And I think the important thing there is that the way that it's defined a nation is you have land, he's separating them out and scattering them tongue, the actual language that they're using and families. So those are, those would be the definitions of a nation. Um, the Greek word, so it shows up ethnos, is where we get ethnicity from. But that definition today has changed if you think about what ethnicity is versus what a nation is. Our view of a nation is biblically defined as land, language, and families.
0: So when it comes to the things of uh, discussions about borders and, you know, the conservative side is, hey, we need to close our borders, we need to protect our borders, those types of things. And we would see that as largely a nationalistic approach, a, a policy relative to a people's land. And that if you if have open borders, what you're doing is you are blurring the, the lines truly of what it means to be a nation because it, you end up welcoming takeover. It, it no longer it has something in common in terms of language and, and, and people, it's just open. And when you do that, um, it, it really destroys with the concept of being a nation in the first place. And we would recognize that for the left, their views of open borders, that is on purpose, that there is that that is a globalist uh, approach to tearing down this particular nation and really blurring the lines of other nations, which means you have
1: really a one world a uh, uh, globalist idea of the world, totally, and I fully support that we do not want a one-government world. Absolutely, not. so that that is unequivocally against God's design in in Genesis ten. Right. Ultimately, what you're talking about is the Tower of Babel on a global scale. Exactly right. It's a repeat or an attempted repeat by Satan of that scene. It's right. exactly right. Right. So.
0: And so we've understood that a conservative position in terms of political theology is one of of a proper view of borders, a proper view of immigration and assimilation because uh, nations are good things. Right. And they, that was God's answer to a globalist idea of Babel.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And the only time that borders were set without being taken by force was in Genesis 10. So it's nice. important to understand that, and you've said this before, every border since then is is caused by the taking of force by by another country?
0: Yeah, and and what's changing with that? There, there's another way now, right? The um, the other way that you do that is by um, is by immigration, and it is by birth birth rate. Right. So if for instance, that's the issue of the death of the Western civilization and the takeover in in Europe, especially from Muslims is w- without doing so hostily uh, is is by population increase via the birth rate. The Muslims actually are having way more children than the um, than the Western valued people who are uh, aborting or not getting married or not having children or those types of things. Yeah. So that that's that's another way. but yeah typically speaking, you're right, that's the the, the normative way is you take over a country by, expelling the people who were there previously. Um, So we have nations. uh, We've just had a brief definition of that. Um, What about the idea of Christian, Jim? Where did that name even come from?
1: Isn't that interesting? So it's Acts 11. It's Antioch. And it's actually the unbelieving Antioch putting that term onto believers at that time. And it was a derogatory term. I've I've concluded that it's a derogatory term uh, meant as a cut towards them because Christians in that time, it was called the way. That was the way that things were communicated. It was known as the way, and so uh, you have this derogatory Christian term mm-hmm. brought on by non-believers,
0: and we said, "Sure, we'll we'll go with that, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll, we'll wear that with pride, right? A badge of honor." Right. And that's a little bit of where this discussion of Christian nationalism is really uh, kind of ramped up recently, as some Christians have taken the accusation or the 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 naming of of a way of thinking from the world as a derogatory term. And some Christians are like, that's actually, those aren't terrible words. Maybe we should not necessarily just abandon that. Maybe that's a a, a decent way of looking
1: forward. Right. And, And look, we've said this before. There's no neutrality. There's only two uniforms. There's good and bad soldiers. And so every term, every word is worth fighting over. I hate to say it that way, but that's the reality. And, If you look at the history of at least here in america christianity look at the number of things we have lost because of passive behavior i would argue the rainbow is if people see the rainbow today it's representative of gay pride as opposed to you know genesis 7 and 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 noah and so there are so many things that we've lost if we lose christian and we lose nation what are we doing i mean it just doesn't make any sense to me so these are two good terms. They're biblical terms, and we should be proud of them.
0: And I think where people are getting a little bit squeamish is in the idea of the idea of of being a Christian but not being saved, or having the label put upon you, or or accepting the label, or thinking of yourself as one of uh, among those, and yet not actually being saved. And so. Um, that that's where I think a lot of people have a hard time or hesitancy, of of throwing a broader identification of a nation, be, because people are like, if you're not perfectly saved, then you can't be a Christian. Uh, if everything isn't perfect, then you don't want that label. Right. And so that's where um, I think a lot of the the
1: hesitancy and the hard time that people are having. Yeah. Then don't go out in public. And the, the reality is, is, is these things do matter because if you have a definition and it, and it leads you to understand where people are, then you know how to minister to them. I mean, I, that, so to me, it's a positive thing in, in understanding truly where people are. Well, and, and,
0: and I think we need to get over that,
1: um, in many ways.
0: The, the truth is, and I've heard these arguments made and I, I think they're, they're sound arguments. Then there's no such thing as a Christian family. If, if if everybody in your family, uh, isn't saved, you know, or, or if someone, if one person in your family isn't saved, then, then you can't say that you're a Christian family or can you actually have a Christian church if you have unsaved people that are in your church? So it's, it's sort of this, um, I I think it's a a false way of, of viewing it that, uh, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't make a nation you call a nation Christian or seek to be to identify it as a Christian nation if it's not filled entirely with Christian people who are saved. I, I just think you're you're you're
1: using the wrong wrong idea. And to me, it's a cheap way of of kind of diluting something that's good. And it it, it is really an extension of what we talked about with Biggie Eva. It's this easy believe grace only you. You come to the Lord, or you accept Christ, and then you just don't do anything. You wait for the that. end times, or whatever that looks like. So, um, I think that that is the issue: is is that you're you're attempting to water down something that is good. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think
0: those are just some uh, some of the discussion, some of the issues that are being uh, bantied about uh, relate to those types of definitions and where you stand on that. And that's where, again, I think that hesitancy comes in those ideas of, especially the word Christian. But understanding from the first place, as Jim pointed out, biblically speaking, that term uh, was uh, used in a derogatory sense, um, and that the Christians, we, I mean, we even use it automatically now, it, be, it became something that we adopted for ourselves. And actually, I heard even just recently too, and re- re- was reminded that the word Puritan, Jim, was also a a label a derogatory label given to a group of serious minded Christians and ultimately the name stuck and, and they owned it, but it was one that was not their own naming of themselves. It was a name given to them. And and ultimately that's how we know them today. But, uh, but again, that wasn't a term of endearment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think that's okay. And that's where, that's where people are wrestling today. Hey, maybe we should not just be running away from, um, from this one. You know, if they're going to call us racist, we, we don't have to accept that. We, we, you know, white supremacists, we don't have to accept that. But if you're going to say Christian, okay, well, what are we talking about? And valuing nations, what are we talking about? And how do those two interplay? That that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, no, no question.
1: And and I I think we're blessed. I'm very, we're very blessed that we do have this. We talk about it all the time. We have this high view of lordship. I would say that is, you know, everything we do kind of goes through that and reality is that we had a good Christian brother, Jesse, who looked at the document that was posted by those guys on Christian nationalism. And he said, look, that could easily be defined as the Lordship of Christ and its implications in everyday life. And that's a, that's a beautiful quote. And so I actually put that out on Twitter and it got so much momentum because it's, it's such a truth. It's such a simple way of going. It's a better definition. And, you know, I'm not going to interject and say that we should reword the document into that because there's nothing wrong with Christian nationalism, but the reality is, is this starts with lordship. Well, that's the other part, is we can understand
0: what we're talking about if we're understanding lordship. Right. But you don't always get to choose your labels. You don't get to choose your names sometimes. Exactly. They're, they're given to you. Exactly. And the issue is, how are you going to use it, understand it, and define it? Just because we've pointed out that the Puritans gave a, a type of Christianity to the name. Uh, Christians gave a definition to the name that was given to them. They were Christ followers, little Christs. Right. And so that was, um, that was something that they, that they owned. Those are the types of things that we're going to have to be wrestling
1: with. And I said earlier, and my point is, is that if that leads to a discussion because we're using Christian nationalism or because I'm wearing a t-shirt that's controversial, if someone comes up to me and, and they, they tell me that that's No one would ever not come up nice. to me, No, but if they did that, then it leads to a discussion. And, and, that's what you want to have. You want to have discussions with people about truth. I'm teasing because someone did come up to Jim uh, in the grocery
0: store the other day and did not uh, take uh, uh, appreciation for his
1: shirt. He so. did, she did not. She did <laughs> not. And the, the poor husband stood by very sheepishly. And <laughs> I saw feminism in its play out in front of me at the grocery store.
0: Well, I, that, that this, uh, you already teed up the the next thing that we wanted to talk about in this discussion is that issue of the lordship of christ and that really is the um the crux of the matter is to what extent is christ lord what has he said and if he has said things uh, should we not do them and those are those uh, issues and questions that we have to work through and, and if Christ is not Lord over certain areas or certain people or certain offices or certain nations or however you want to, uh, to look at that, then you have to acknowledge that you are turning that sphere and that thing over to someone else because of that element, that's that next element that we want to talk about. It's the myth of neutrality. Right. The myth of neutrality is, is recognizing that there's no such thing as a neutral... Um, version that is that is able to come up with its own uh, view of morality and government and laws. It's it, it's it's either as you said. There's only two teams. It's it's the true living God or it's Satan and his children. And so Satan and his children are desiring to uh, dominate, to rule, A- and and yet God's people are kind of like, yeah, we actually are happy if you guys would go ahead and hold those offices. We don't want those, uh, because that's not what Christ has any concern about. And that becomes—that's when you go, wait a minute, hold on a minute. We've got to really think through this biblically carefully, because uh, these have major effects on our own lives, the lives of our—I think it's very unloving to consider that, because it's very unloving towards our children and our grandchildren, Jim.
1: Right, right. And And— you hear this again you got this tendency you got to be careful but you hear this even at a church leadership it's well that's not the church's role well if bringing the gospel to the unsaved is not the church's role then what is it and if our government is not demonstrative of what is unsafe today then what are we doing like who is going to tell them the truth so
0: well and as we were talking about that a little bit before we recorded this idea of what is what is the point of the gospel If we are saying it it just goes back to the perversions of the gospel, what you said earlier, this easy believism. Well, as long as you uh, accept Jesus into your heart, whatever that means, and you get your get out of
1: hell free card at the end. And even the bent of the middle doesn't matter. Yeah. And even the bent of the gospel has nothing to do with the law. They present it as the grace only side of the gospel. And the reality is, as you and I talked about this, to be forgiven of your sins, to repent and forgiven of your sins you have to identify Romans 4 which is without the law there is no sin and so you you have to you have to address that you have to understand that the gospel isn't just the gray side that telling people the truth having a standard which they can see their depravity is what leads you into the next step of your sanctification
0: well it, it we talked about this a little bit before again we're we're having to rewind the tape a little yeah. bit when it comes to the modern evangelical view of the law, they see it as against grace. And in terms of justification, Paul is not going to argue. The issue is, is there is a third view of the law. And I'm going to be talking about this, uh, well, I guess when you're listening to this, the previous Lord's Day, the the third use of the law is the normative use of the law, wherein you are saved unto good works. When you are saved into a pro- back to a proper orientation of how we were first created in the garden as human beings, to relate to God in obedience to his word, to his commands, to because his commands are good, and they are loving, and they are gracious to us. To reveal to us what he wants from us is God's kindness that we don't deserve. That, so as creatures, he has given us his, his law word to show us how to be in a right relationship with Him, pleasing to Him, and as sinners, we can't get there on our own. We do we don't enter into the right relationship. We have to be born, and that's apart from works. But the, but we're born unto good works that we might. Um, and so that that really gets into this issue of uh, saved to what? Right. We talked about this before the recording. Repentance is turning away from sin. But it's turning to something else, and that is in, that is to love and obedience of God and His Word. And so, if we're talking about a gospel that isn't about teaching people to observe all that Christ has commanded us right. in His Word, see, people people basically are are happy to say that, but they don't want to say, well, what is it that Christ has commanded us in His Word? What 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 is it? What is His will? What is His law? And and they want to make that very small, and ultimately they just want to say, well, it's just to love. And then you have to go, well, what is love, and how how is that defined? And how I mean, you don't just get to define love for yourself. That's what all of God's law was in the first place. Right. And uh, I, I mentioned uh, last Sunday. I'm gonna. Have, no one's called me or uh, said anything to me yet about my art project for somebody to take up. But I, I want to. I want us to have a visual of the way. It, it's real simple. But we need to have a visual of the way God ordained it, with the two uh, great commandments. Hanging under those two great commandments are the two tables of the law, and then all of the other laws uh, are underneath those. The the rest of the law of the Bible is just explaining and, and, and delineating practically the Ten Commandments, which are themselves a delineation of Loving God and loving neighbor, but what people have wanted to say is, oh, all the rest of the laws have been have been abrogated; they've been put away, and all you have to do now is love. And guess what? You get to define what love is. And when you do that, uh, that looks more like uh, ignorance, it looks more like apathy, and it looks more like hatred than it does when when God has revealed how it is to be loving. And of course, that's that's principally there. It's going to, in His. Beautiful design. It's going to look different for each of our lives, but there's some common elements of principle that God has given us in His Word that defines then how to love. And then when you expand that into communities and to nations, now you start saying, is not God's law, is His Word, is His standard not sufficient? And is that not a representation of what it means to be under His Lordship? And so that's so it, we believe that these things come down to lordship. If Christ is Lord, how is it that we govern ourselves? Otherwise yeah. you're making it up, Jim. And Otherwise we, you're making it up saying you're you're saying, "Okay, well, you people on Satan's team, why don't you guys figure out how to govern the world?" And 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 we'll just kind of be we'll, we'll let you know if we like it or don't like it maybe. Uh, but we really don't care about those things because we somehow think that that's not what Jesus is about, or has no care for,
1: and that's a very small, low view of lordship. Yeah, and we talked about it. So it, it you know, clearly grace is justification is by grace. We talked about that, and then we talked about sanctification and the need for the law. Again, you, you need it there, but you also need it before that. You need it for evangelism. I mean, you know, we talk about the gospel. Again, the gospel has to include the law. Part of the Romans road is Romans three twenty three, right? For all have sinned. Well, what did they sin against? What did they sin against? That speaks to the universal application and authority of the law over the world. When the lady came up to me in the grocery store and she didn't like my shirt, she said, I don't like your shirt. I said, well, how are you coming up with that? Where does where are you making judgments on good and bad? And I, I led her right to back to by what standard That's right. do you measure good and evil? And she said, well, I'm a good person. And I said, well, the Bible speaks differently of that. And I brought her right to Romans 3.23 and then she walked away. But the reality is, is, is that's how we evangelize. It's the only way we can evangelize. Yeah. if we don't show them their sin, how can they possibly know what to turn from if God calls them? So and when you turn over the when you turn over the reins
0: to the to secularism, which is just ex- the exaltation of man to the throne of God, right. And you say, you guys get to decide, then what do you have? You have the killing of babies. You have the mutilation of children. You have homosexual mirage, right? You have all of these things. Because ultimately, man on his own is going to run the opposite direction of God and what He's revealed. So it's either His standard, or it's as other people have said: if it's it's Christ or chaos. God.
1: Genesis Genesis six five. Then every intent of thought of their heart was only evil continually.
0: That's that's who we are.
1: So was God's law there? Right. Yes, Absolutely. it had to be. Had to be His moral there was a standard. by which that was point. said. Yes,
0: so it's there. And, and so these things seem to be rather obvious to us, Jim, and that this is the the difficult part is that these things are not especially obvious among evangelicals, even among even brothers we, we love and appreciate who who get a lot of things right, but they seem to talk out of both sides of their mouth because they, they, they'll do things and say things that are right and then they'll deny, that there's a way that you do that, or a way that you come to that, um, and and so in some ways they deny the nose that's on their face, and
1: and I think that's discipleship. Their brothers, yeah, I think you so. know, that's that's where you know. Again, I was I was called by the Lord in a seeker sensitive church, which doesn't exist. There's no such thing as that in our definition today, um, and so there are different churches at different stages, and their brothers. Our objective is to disciple them and bring them along. Uh, as best we can evangelize to the world disciple those that are among us
0: yeah and so and and watch for watch for ourselves and and make sure that we are um sticking to scripture and understanding these things uh biblically the best we
1: can and be patient you know again take your time um don't react immediately to things that are on social media this is my social media warning 101 um i do this often but um social media is very impersonal it's it's Uh, until if you send a text or an email or post something that's actually not communicating with another person until that person replies now you've got an interaction between two people and it's the worst possible form of communication and this is the reason god designed the local church you know over time this gets worse and worse so phil johnson posted a video of vice president camilla harris and it was really funny um But it turned out it was manipulated with artificial intelligence. It isn't actually what she said, but it was done very artfully and with a very good voiceover. And we've got to be careful of that. We have to be very careful going forward of that. You could see a video of Danny smashing Jim that never really happened. Mm -hmm. And so face-to-face communication, actually being part of a community is irreplaceable because that's God's design.
0: Uh, That's true. Uh, just the last thing on this one that I wanted to touch on, we've already sort of alluded to it, but it's the inevitability of culture. And that, because that's part of the discussion as well, is the idea of culture, cultural Christianity or uh, the trappings of Christendom or, or however you want to word that. And we talked about this recently just in our church. I think these are important things. Uh, culture is the product of worship. And again, we're back to the myth of neutrality. And so uh, some guys are, are wanting to deny that we want Christian culture. We want culture, the culture around us, uh, the, the the way that we live, such as um, whether you call them, you know, Sabbath laws. It used to be, it, w- it wasn't just Chick-fil-A that was closed on Sundays, right? You had other things, um, other businesses that were uh, not open. That, that was the way things were. And so those were elements of Christian culture, that, um, that kept uh, sin and restrained uh, sin in, in culture. And, and so all laws, um, you know, you hear people say you can't legislate morality. Well, there's no such other type of legislation. You're always legislating a version of morality. It's just, it's not whether but which. These are, it's by what standard. All these things are so important to, uh, to ask. Um, but, but culture is inevitable. It's just a matter of what culture you have. And so do we not want a, a safe and peaceful and proper moral culture? Yes, uh, we should say yes. Right. Um, the issue then becomes, well, what's the proper way of getting there? And that's where there, uh, there's gonna be a lot of questions and a lot of issues. We're not in positions of power. So some people think this is all just um, rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Well, it, it's recognizing from more of a, uh, I've called it the drone's eye view, uh, that, that the t- Titanic is going down, and there's, but there's going to need to be a new ship. There's going to need to be uh, the rebuilding of things. And, and, and we recognize that this is going to only happen when God gets a hold of his people and the word is preached and the spirit moves and people are saved and, and culture is um, transformed it's something that we are looking to God for. It's not something that we can just simply manufacture or whatever, but this is, this is something that we will, um, we just need to be faithful in the small areas that we have um, and that God has given us. And from there, you never know what kind of uh, spark can be lit that uh, turns into a a wildfire. Yeah.
1: And just two more small things as it relates to things getting worse and going down um, that I want to bring up. One is, um, the administration, which we know is already evil, has implemented this giving loans to people that have worse credit scores at a lower interest rate than people that have higher scores. Well, that is unequivocally against God's equal measures. That is unequivocally wrong. And it's a further deterioration of our mortgage loan process. The banks are already at risk. We've talked about this before on other podcasts. We've had several banks that have Gone under even recently, as last week, JP Morgan stepped in and bought one, but they cannot do that forever. And the interest rate just went up again. Um, so, my warning would be please don't keep a lot of your money in an FDIC bank. I think that there's real risk now. They've raised the borrowing rate again, which means all of that debt goes up even more, which we should see more foreclosures on banks occurring. And there could be a run. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to predict that. I'm just saying. You know, use some wisdom here. Talk to me. Talk to Danny. Talk to Mark. Talk to anyone about this. I've posted it on Slack for the men. Um, you know, get yourself into a safer environment than than those local banks.
0: I, I think it's a good point in this, in recognizing that um, the world around us, it, our nation, is crumbling as it turns its back on God. Um, all the more reason for us to be thinking of what does it mean for a nation. turn back to god and of course it is going to come through salvation it's going to come through the movement of the spirit of god but it also comes through the recognition of there is only one standard of true justice of of um as you identified here uh equal weight weights and measures of of refusing partiality right the sin of partiality that comes from scripture we actually my mom brought this up at bible study last night Uh, somebody was talking about um, doing... I think she's probably been referring to you, Jim. Uh, It had something to do with the idea of doing business with the Chinese and understanding that the Chinese lie all the time. And why do they lie all the time? Because why not? What's the standard by which uh, you shouldn't lie if you benefit? They get a benefit. If you benefit and there is no God, you're dealing with an atheistic country, If, if you benefit... Of course, why wouldn't you? Um, that's why uh, th- that's why standards, even like even in our own country, the idea of laws that are against perjury, those are Christian things, right? There's standards that come from the Bible. So anyway, those are uh, we're just really teasing out this discussion. We have clearly you you're hearing some of our presuppositions come through but there are um, more conversations to be had and more conclusions to be drawn as things kind of develop.
1: Proverbs twenty ten: differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. Abominable, hmm. detestable, morally disgusting. That's. Yeah, he, I'd, say he, I'd say he cares. I'd say he cares about this. And, and those are social, economic, uh,
0: cultural elements. Wait of, a minute, Danny. Stay in your lane here. Stay oh, in your lane here. All right. It's just the church. All right, just love Jesus, all right? <laughs> All right, well, that was a, a lively discussion. I think it's an important one, uh, so we, we appreciate you hanging with us, and I hope this is beneficial. If you have questions, uh, you can certainly uh, bring those forward to us, and we'll uh, see what we can do with them. Well, today we're also continuing to talk about our church distinctives, and we're going through the five solas of the Reformation. And so we want to uh, have this transition now to talking about um, the next one, the, the, the fifth one. We come to Sola De Gloria and that is we live to the glory of God alone. And this is the pinnacle of it all. Uh, remember that the Reformers themselves, uh, they did not put this outline together. This is, they didn't come, come up with these five things. It was people after the Reformation that looked upon it and recognized these are the principles upon which the Reformation happened and was built. Um, and so this is, again, a summary of what the Reformation recovered, in terms of what the Roman Catholic system had eclipsed and corrupted. And so you see, if salvation is based upon your works on successfully navigating the system of religious responsibilities, of dotting all of the I's and crossing the T's in order to um, be saved, then that means you have something to boast about. If you contribute your works to your justification, then you have a right to be proud of yourself, but when the Reformers recovered the biblical teaching of our salvation, they realized that our salvation is entirely a work of God. Uh, that's where we stand. And that is also rooted in God's purposes for everything, as described in Isaiah 42, verse 8. He said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Also in Isaiah forty-eight eleven, for my own sake, for my own sake. I will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another so god is first and best of beings he is highly exalted and there is no one like him there is no one to compare him to and so his glory his worth is supreme his attributes in totality make him so full of perfection that His weightiness, that is part of the idea of glory. It is weightiness in terms of worth and quality that there is no one like Him, no one to compare Him to. He is holy, 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 that everything He does reflects His glory so that the angels in heaven describe the earth as them being full of His glory because that's where He has shown Himself to be active in His creation and in His saving. And so when it comes to our salvation... It also must not be seen as something wherein we are uh, we are glorious, that we share in the glory of salvation, or that we have something to boast in ourselves. And so when you understand that salvation in our justification is not based on anything good in us, it's not grounded in our own contributions of good works, then the result of our salvation, as Paul says in, in, in uh, Ephesians 1— to the praise of his glorious grace. The result of salvation, that is all a work of God on behalf of the sinner, is that the sinner has no right to boast in anything he has done. I've heard it said that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Right? That's our contribution to salvation. Our <laughs> it's our depravity. It's our depravity. It's our rebellion. And so our contribution to our salvation is the sin that Jesus died
1: for. So, Danny, two things before you move on. One would be, I love this, the chief end of man. What is the chief end of man, Danny?
0: To glorify God and enjoy him forever.
1: That's a beautiful picture. And then I think the other thing that we struggle with is, well, if God is just glorifying himself, isn't he prideful? How do you address that, Danny? How do you impact on, is God a prideful God? So part of the issue of of pride is the recognition that
0: uh, that it is, um, when we talk about sinful pride, when we talk about uh, pride, in human beings. It's the recognition that we um, are not worthy um, and that we are not as good as we think we are. Now, there is a, a proper idea of taking pride in something, of caring about it and seeing as uh, something is is good and, and being proud of something, is, it can be a good thing. But in terms of, of self-pride, we're talking about sinful creatures who are proud of ourselves and we, we basically we have too high a view of us the point of scripture is that you cannot have too high a view of God and it is proper for God to exalt himself right because he there is no sin in him there is there is nothing but perfections and greatness and and all of these things and so uh yeah God Such is impossible
1: an for God to be pr- sinfully proud. Sinfully proud exactly right Pride Pride in a good way, but not in a negative way, and the only way we have that is because we are sinful creatures. I think a lot of people struggle with this when they when they hear that this is God glorifying himself, but it's in a completely different way we we have because of sin we're incapacitated to understand that. the issue is uh the issue isn't um. The issue isn't about
0: the propriety of pride. It's a matter of the worth of it. Exactly. Of The worth of the thing. Exactly. And when we can, so we understand our own depravity, that's what makes pride so terrible. Yeah. Because we have ultimately in ourselves, in our fallen state and in our own sinfulness, there's really nothing for us to boast in. And that's why when we look at the creator, when we look at the savior, we recognize that he is the one who is to receive the glory and pride is glorifying of self. And when we're glorifying self, that's sin.
1: And I've talked about that with outreach. That's part of the Trinity is you have a triune God, not a monotheistic one God who's created something pridefully. It's because of the triunity of it, it is unique and distinct.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a a great one too. We'll have to dive into that some other time too. The Trinity is a wonderful uh, thing. And actually our hymn of the month is gonna be uh, singing about our triune God. Well, um, continuing on here, uh, a key verse also in understanding this concept is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Very familiar to us, but the key element is going to be in verse 9 for our discussion today. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That faith is not of yourselves. You don't generate your own faith out of the the goodness and purity and the ability of uh, of your own mind and will. It is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And notice the end of that verse in verse nine, it says, so that that's a statement of purpose. God did it this way. He saved us by grace through faith, which that itself is a gift from God. And he did so this way with the purpose that you and I would have no basis for boasting. So he saved us on purpose so that, Jim, we don't get the credit. God saved us in this manner so that we would not be able to take that credit. All credit instead, all praise, all glory goes to God alone. And that is the emphasis of the Protestant Reformation. That is the repudiation of the system of Roman Catholic dominance that laid heavy burdens upon people to contribute to their salvation by their labor, but the Bible points to God's glory alone. And so this is not an obscure uh, argument in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 28, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, Okay, justified as a gift, verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith that was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that, there's another purpose statement, he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, where then is boasting? That's the, that's the question that comes then. How is it possible to boast if God is the just one and the justifier of the one who has faith in him, that, that it's not by uh, the works of the law? So where then is boasting, he says? Um, it is excluded. He answers his own question it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so Paul is pointing this out specifically also in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 2 of Romans. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he then has something to boast about, but not before God, And so listen, it's all over the place. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What does it mean to boast in the Lord, Jim? It's give glory to God. That's the boasting, right? Right? And so Jesus himself says in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and that's just something to give glory to God for. That it's acknowledging that, we'll, we'll get into the tulip uh, later on, right? It's acknowledging my total depravity, and therefore it's glorying in the the greatness of God's work on our behalf. Because it's like Calvin I read this. <laughs> you, don't th- you, don't, you, you don't say. <laughs> well, the whole point of history and um, and redemption is that God would be glorified in what he has done. Uh, one commentator wrote this, "Quote The salvation of sinners was God's idea. The accomplishing of that salvation was God's work. The granting of that salvation is God's grace, and the fulfillment of that salvation is God's promise. From beginning to end, salvation belongs to the Lord, quoting uh, Psalm 3, verse 8. And so what we've talked about uh, this before, Jim, when we understand that our justification is tied to our new birth, do you get credit for being born? Not a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. And, and that's so important. Uh, I'm, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is confronted with this idea of being born again or being born from above, a, a second birth. And, and it's a new birth. And in the story, we note that Nicodemus is confused and confounded, really, because he is seeking to save himself. And he says, how can a man be born when he is old and notice th- this next part, he cannot enter a second time. He, he's trying to get born by entering into his mother's womb. He's like, I can't do that, because, but it's dependent upon me to do that, I think. But I, it seems impossible to me, and that is, of course, part of Jesus' point. Uh, he, gets the, he gets the idea, but he's struggling with the idea of being able to do it himself, I I think I have to go get born again, but I don't know how to go back into my mother's womb again. How do I do that? How do that? I do that? Exactly. How
1: do I do that? Right. He's looking for the do. He's looking for the do. Exactly
0: right. Um, and so then he says, can a man be born when he is old? He cannot. Uh, he, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? And, and so he cannot put himself in, in his own mind into a position to be born. And that is entirely the point. Jesus makes the point that the Spirit of God moves as He wills. He likens it to wind. And it is not controlled by men. His work, God's work, the Spirit's work, is only seen, but it isn't controlled by men. Uh, You just like, we take no credit for being born? It's because we didn't do it. It's because we were just born. (laughs) And so we say that there is no boasting in Christianity. So even our good works have been prepared for us by God. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Uh, Our works have been prepared for us by God in our life of sanctification, and so we are left with simply being thankful. We are left with praise. We are left with worship, which is that idea of ascribing worth, giving glory. Uh, And we're doing so to God by means of glorifying Him. So that is, we, we do the things that are pleasing to Him as a way of exalting His name as we decrease. We actually are to have the same attitude as John the Baptist. He must increase. What, what what is that? What is that thinking? What is that notion? He must increase in notoriety. He must increase in glory, in prominence, in in praise. He is the one to be looked to, while I am the one who is decreased in stature, uh, because the glory is to go to, to God alone. Now, that is the Christian life when we understand the nature of salvation in the recovery of the gospel. And that's what the Reformers were really after.
1: That's beautiful. And for us, it's take every thought captive. The way we do that is we take thoughts captive of the world and we turn them to the Word, we understand God's truth in it, and then we speak truth back out. Yeah. So, Well, as a distinctive of our church,
0: we are standing on the heritage of of the Protestant Reformation, and we proclaim this same gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, because the Bible alone reveals these glorious truths of salvation that are so rich and free. Well, that's all the time we have for Truth today. We want to thank you for joining us, and until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth.